<laughs> um, good. It's good to be with you guys. Um, I love this. I hear this was the highlight of last year. It was. And so uh, nobody remembers any of my messages, but we remember eating together and hanging out. So I love this. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Um, yeah, I, I love this. This is one of the highlights of my year. I love being with you guys, and I love this touch point at this level. You know, you just it's nice to get screamed at, but it's also nice just to connect and ask questions and specifics. So I, I love this. Yeah, for, just a little update on us. My wife's hanging out um, back at the hotel. But, um, yeah, we, we moved a year ago to Dallas to join the upper room team and uh, just loving it. And so uh, finding a place and a pace in a local praying church and uh, just finding family. It's beautiful. Amen. That's my intro. Let's jump in. I'm just going to add a question right off the top. Tell us what the upper room is for those who don't know. Yeah. Um, Upper Room is a uh, local church that started in Dallas, Texas about 10 years ago. Uh, Pastors named Michael and Larissa Miller. And uh, they just pretty much just started going after God. About 2007, Michael had a word from the Lord that that God was going to connect him with a businessman that would bring him to a furnished upper room. It's kind of out of Mark 14. And it's the story of the Passover and how Jesus says, go to this guy. He's going to lead you to that guy who will... Bring you to a fully furnished upper room. So the Lord spoke to him in 2007 that there was going to come a businessman that would open up a door to a fully furnished upper room. Well, in 2010, he met that businessman and he literally called the place. It was above a veterinarian clinic. Uh, He says, this is your upper room. And he took that as a sign. They just started going after God. And, you know, for about five to six years, went after God. And just it began to grow. A lot of 20-year-olds, they... We're planted down in the Oaklawn district in Dallas, which is the, uh, the uh, heavily uh, homosexual district. And they were seeing amazing testimonies of, uh, you know, homosexuals that would in one year be the head drag queen on the parade and coming in, getting saved, getting delivered and powerfully encountered by God. And uh, they just begin to see testimonies like this. And they planned it at the heart of it, morning, noon and night prayer. That God would be at the center. And so Monday through Friday, they do morning, noon, and night prayer. And um, anyway, and then a couple of years ago, the Lord says, I want, they didn't do any social media. And then they, a couple of years ago, maybe a year ago, they uh, began to do social media. And some of you maybe have heard that song. It was a spontaneous song that uh, surrounded, um, you know, this is how I fight my battles. And that, that was caught in one of their prayer meetings and it's just gone viral and da 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 da. So um anyway and then we got a wild story of how we connected with them. So it's just a good place for us. Amen. All right. Uh last night you talked about the spirit of witchcraft. <laughs> okay, We're let's get going here. End. We're gonna start big here. Um and breaking mind. off uh breaking it off the church. Can you talk more about that? <laughs> what is it? How does it happen? What do we what do we do? We know, I, I, I want to go to Bible verses, okay? I don't want to think about just some ethereal, it's all witchcraft. You know, I think it was Samuel that said that the uh, sin of rebellion is as of the sin of witchcraft. Um, I, I think rebellion is witchcraft, that, uh, that rebellious spirit, it, what it sows and what it releases. I, Paul in Galatians 3 says, who has bewitched you, Galatians, that you began in the spirit, and you're trying to be perfected in the flesh. 
There's a form of witchcraft that's connected to self-righteousness and performance-driven Christianity that exalts my performance to receiving God's favor. I believe that some of the ways that we sow witchcraft is the accuser of the brethren. You know, Satan's one of Satan's titles in Revelation 12, he's called the accuser of the brethren. He stands day and night before the throne of God. And, and I believe there's four fronts in how the devil accuses. Number one, he lies to God about you. He's constantly bombarding God with their hypocrites. They never do what they say. Da, 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 da. Then he turns around and he lies to you about God. You can't trust him. He never fulfills his promises. He never breaks in. Then he sits there and he lies to you about yourself. And then this is where witchcraft comes in. He begins to lie to you about each other. And he begins to create a demonic web of accusation. That where we begin to think thoughts, feel emotions, and then speak out of that place. It creates realities that actually bind our brothers and our sisters. There is so much witchcraft that happens by, did you hear about Sister Sue? Let me break it down for you guys. Did you hear about Brother John? What they're going through. And you haven't sowed any prayers into their life and you're not carrying the heart of God. It doesn't take prophets to see jacked up people and call it out as jacked up people. Prophets are able to see people where they're going and call for that which is not as though it is. And pull forth their destiny regardless of even the current struggle they're in. Anyway, so when I talk about breaking of witchcraft, I used Zechariah 3 last night. If you were here, Zechariah 3 is Satan standing to oppose Joshua. And he says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. And I believe witchcraft involves that realm of confusion in your mind. Uh, I'll, I'll literally feel it physically as a headache or like a vice around the head. It clouds your mind. It releases confusion about who God is and about what he's called you to do. It binds you. And when we talk about breaking the spirit of witchcraft, it's the exaltation of Jesus, his sacrifice, his death, and his resurrection. I do believe that there are, you know, and I'm not going to go into this and we're not going to dig into this. I do believe there's witches. I believe there's warlocks. I believe that there's real people whose job, and I believe some of them are under control that end up in our churches. And they don't even understand that they're host by which demons get channeled. But we'll just get them into church and cast them out. I want them all to come. I want them all to come. Come on, sit in the chair and we'll take authority of it in Jesus' name. And they're going to get set free. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. But I would say the biggest point for us in our witchcraft is just shut up and start praying more than you talk. All right. Praise the Lord. Let's get started. <laughs> it's my winning season. Hopefully this one is. Y'all heard that song from Jekyll and Carr? I love it, man. Y'all need to hear that. It lights me up. <laughs> uh, when and how did you receive the bridal revelation? <laughs> when and how did I receive the bridal revelation? Give you a part two to that. It was the day that they put a wedding gown on me and I danced. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> <laughs> it all shifted. There are. There are three eternal identities that every saint has. If you're born again, you have three eternal identities. Number one, we're forever sons of God. Okay? 
Number two, we are forever the bride of Christ. And number three, we're a royal priesthood. Okay? That's what we're going to be doing forever. And these realities transcend gender. It transcends gender. It's about a way of relating and responding to God in specific faces of God that bring the church into identity. And we see the father, the bridegroom, and the chief intercessor, our chief high priest. Okay? What, how did I receive it? It was, I, I don't know exactly when it happened or how it happened. I don't exactly remember when it happened. Actually, I do. I know where it, I felt a big breakthrough when I was reading the book of Jeremiah in 2002. And the phrase out of Jeremiah was, I remember you in the betrothal and the love of your betrothal and how God spoke tenderly to Israel in a backslidden state. And the first words out of Jeremiah, the prophet, who is in the midst of a judgment generation, the first words out of God's heart and mouth is, I remember you and I miss our betrothal season. And what you hear through Jeremiah, Hosea, and the prophets is this revelation of God as bridegroom and the people as the bride. And God is so tender. He's so patient. He's so jealous and he's so zealous. And as I begin to feel God's heart for Israel, I begin to see that he is the same way related to me. And it changed my view of God from being one that's it. it, it that's when Jeremiah led me to Song of Solomon because I had a hard time with Song of Solomon. You know, I mean, it, it's going to take a second for some guys to get there. You know, it's about the ecstasy of marital love. But it's also an allegory, allegorical uh, revelation of Christ and the church. And, uh, and, and what I began to see is the, that the Song of Solomon changed the tone by which I heard God speak to me. Most of us, whether or not we know it, we hear mostly a disappointed tone in our father. If we were to get inside your head and hear the, the recordings, it's mostly what you haven't done enough of instead of who you are. And what I love about Song of Solomon is he's not moved by her seasons of failure and weakness and difficulty and fear. But in her broken seasons... He calls forth the things that are not the budding virtues inside of her for her to fully come into her identity. And I begin to hear Jesus talk to me differently. <clears throat> anyway, I'm just just it, it happens through time. The prophets. If I had time, I'm writing a book on it. So I'm going to release it this year. But it's all about I just talk about the bridegroom because the spirit and the bride say come. Is absolutely critical. It's not the spirit in the church. It's not the spirit in sons. It's not the spirit in the army. Men, you've got to learn how to receive. Okay? Men, you need to learn how to receive. You validate your acceptance to God based on what you bring. But bridal identity begins with kiss me. You impart to me what I cannot give to you. And that it takes you to love you. I receive from you to give to you what you deserve. 
And bridal identity shifts you from a, from a doer to a receiver. And he makes the first commandment first place. Paul says, I speak concerning Christ and the church. Amen. Good, good. You're going to get me lit up. Did you want to keep going on that? No, I'm good. That's good. I could listen to that all day. Um, Okay. Do you see any Holy Spirit movement? I'm sorry. Yeah. Do you see any Holy Spirit movement in your travels that are common to those areas? I don't know. Can you help me? Whoever wrote that question? Any trending? Okay. Is that what? I mean, I'm, I'm. I, I don't know. I do what I do. I go where I go. The Lord always kisses us and blesses me with extra. Some places you go and it's extra, extra. Mm-hmm. That's, that's my word. Extra, extra is more fire. Yeah. Um, I, I, I would say I'm finding God moving specially in Denver. And ca- I, I was just in Castle Rock in Denver, Colorado last weekend. And I'm not being able to get through my messages. The fire of God's getting so strong. And their impartation of fire is uh, quite astounding to me to where I'm like, okay, Lord, you're doing something. And, and I'm just, I take note when it's more, and it's not about me. It's about God's uh, uh, heart for that region and what he's doing in that area. And I think he's doing some really cool things. And thank God we need it. All that weed generation is just destroying them. God, we need you to break in, Lord. <laughs> Come on, Jesus. Set the church on fire. No, I, I, I do. I, I, meet, I, I do a call once a month with some pastors at, in Castle Rock. And there's about 400 pastors that are coming together down I-25. And that are really connecting from Denver to Colorado Springs. And I am seeing alignment and unity and purpose and prayer and pastors are getting together. They're sharing resources. It's quite encouraging to me. And then I see the power of it manifested in the meetings. So God's up to something. That's good. Yeah. Okay. Next question. Somebody's curious about what your original message was going to be last night. Can you share? I think that I was telling my wife on the way home. I think actually what happened last night was the Lord walked us by the Holy Spirit through what my message was. Okay. Oh, what's he mean? Um, Spirit and bride say come. I felt like one is, and sometimes, you know, whatever. I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes I'm just not comfortable and I got to get comfortable. And so to me, that means I need to pray in the Holy Spirit together for about 30 minutes. Well, the biggest thing is I felt like we needed a breakthrough in here. And I don't know how to explain this. So much stuff is subjective and it's just what I've learned by walking with God. I knew, to, I knew we needed something together in the room, a breakthrough in here. And so I felt like there was the breaking up the ground through praying in the spirit. And then the Lord began to take us into that encounter realm to where I felt like he was freeing us, delivering us. But more than anything, he was bringing us into connection with the Holy Spirit. He was bringing us into unity with the Holy Spirit and as we came into that, it then began to lift back out of the spirit and the bride say come. And I felt like as we began to move out of that, we began to pray from a different place. And there was unity in the room. I mean, I'm, I'm writing on it. There's a lot that's in my heart concerning spirit and bride say come. I believe it's connected to the baptism of fire. Um, Jesus is coming and he's coming as a refiner and a purifier. And he's getting up into our business. 
You guys, we just had holidays. I'll give you some of my message now. We just had the holidays. Does anybody have a drunk uncle at Christmas? Amen. Anybody used to be the drunk uncle at Christmas? <laughs> it's my winning season. So um, everybody's got a drunk uncle. And so if they don't, then it probably is. You just don't know it. Um, we'll put the drunk uncle off in a back room. And you quarantine him and you bring his food to him and just get him entertained with the show or the football game. Because many times I've seen this happen. There's so much dysfunction in our families that nobody likes to talk about at Christmas. You know, mother-in-law's issue with daughter-in-law and sister-in-law's issue with brother-in-law and sisters comparing themselves and da-da-da-da-da. Drunk uncle always will come in and will begin to stir up every elephant in the family. And just because I don't have a better representation, I feel like Jesus is doing that in the church in this season. I feel like he's getting up into our business and the stuff religion never touches with our fake smiles and nice Instagram pictures and all of our functional dysfunction. He's getting up into the middle of the pockets of rebellion, jealousy, fear, addiction. I feel like he's coming closer in this season. And I feel like he's been getting to turn over tables and he's beginning to prepare places of habitation deeper in us. That's been part of the difficulty in the last decade is I feel like he's getting close and he's purifying his people. And he's cleansing us and cleaning us from the junk. Because religion will let you have fake smiles with lots of nice language. Holy Ghost gets up into your business. So I feel like he's doing that. And I feel like that's going to bring us into a greater unity with the Holy Spirit. You will only unify with the Holy Spirit to the degree you submit to the Holy Spirit. We only unify based on submission. That's why Paul says submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. As we submit and defer and come underneath one another, that's the basis for unity. And so many of us are resisting the Holy Spirit in our secret lives. And he says, I ain't going anywhere. I got tough skin. Amen. There's a lot more to this. I talk about spirit. I believe this is the way to undo the pocket so that in your places of him confronting you, you're going to come into a bridal identity, a bridal revelation as you experience his kindness in your most vulnerable areas. Good. And then when you get the nitrogen and the glycerin, there's a kaboom. It's called come. And that's what provokes, I call it the breakthrough prayer. Good. Um, these two are kind of the same, so I'm just going to kind of try to encapsulate them both. They're both about uh, about the public's Paul. Um, why does Paul forbid speaking in tongues unless there's an interpretation present when gathered in the group, you know, when gathered in a group? And the other one says pretty much the same thing. Um, but he says, does Paul make a does Paul teach that there is a provision for prayer language? And then the last part is, what does good news believe? Talk to myself or Pastor Mark afterwards. We'll tell you what good news believes. Go ahead. Yeah, Mark. yeah. I we moved last night into a prayer meeting. It moved from a normal Sunday morning service to where you have unbelievers present. And to where it moved into a prayer meeting where we were crying out together for God. That's why I had everybody who hadn't received their prayer language to come up first. 
and we prayed for them. And then we moved into that. I, I normally don't do that, but I was just agitated. And, and I felt like we needed some breakthrough in there. And most of the people that say that really don't pray in tongues. Um, most of the people that have all the issues on praying in tongues don't pray in tongues. I, my desire, they'll, they'll say it and they'll do it when they fall down. Or they'll do it in theory, but they actually don't exercise it in their life. Because they're about being the, the tongues police. And I, I bless. No, I, I love all that. I love to be in the tongues police. And you're looking for understanding. I'm just talking about generally walking through this. Um, I, I find that we were in a room of believers. It was a prayer meeting. And we had moved from just doing a normal reaching lost people into a corporately going out. And that's why I encourage everybody, whether or not you have your prayer language or not, whisper, I love you, Jesus. Say, God, I ask you to come. Lord, break in with your power. And because and the other thing is, I'm trying to activate you into doing this on the on the drive home. I want you doing this in your secret life. I believe the greatest secret in the Apostle Paul's life is I thank God I speak with tongues more than all of you. Paul is looking for order, and I felt like we found order last night. I felt like we came into unity last night, and we found order, and there was, and actually, I believe that God released words from Scripture and words of understanding to bring clarity and interpretation of what we were praying in the Holy Spirit. A lot of us may have paradigms of praying in tongues as Shotorakataka, and the Lord would say, Sometimes we'll pray in tongues for 45 minutes and then I'll preach in 45 minutes. And I believe many times that that's the interpretation to what we were praying in tongues. I believe, do you understand that I had no idea the things I was saying? I didn't come into last night thinking about Zechariah 3. I wasn't thinking about Matthew chapter 8. And you know what my wife was doing? She was over there in the corner doing voice memos of the exact chapters that I was speaking in the room right before I would speak it. She was speaking it. She let me hear it later, which means this. She was getting lost in this whole. I was praying for Desiree and her family over here and start getting caught up in Revelation 22 and the river and the stream coming out of the throne of God, the tree of life on both sides of the river and how there's healing for the and there's leaves or for the, the healing of the nations. Do you know I wasn't thinking about that when I stood up last night? I believe that's interpretation to tongues. And I believe it was bringing corporate edification. However, I most normally don't do that because a lot of times it is confusing. And it is difficult. And a lot of people are going, what in the world's going on in here? But I believe we were, I believe we were, about, I believe we were almost all there. And for you who have real sincere questions, ask the team, ask the staff. They'll tell you it's not the norm. But I feel like I feel like you guys are in a I'm also feeling like we're at a prayer conference and we're really pressing in that this is the God squad saying, God, we need you. We want you to break in. And when I'm with the God squad, we can do that stuff. So that's how I'm thinking about you. I'm not mostly thinking about the one or two that doesn't have a clue what's going on. I'm thinking of the God squad. And that's who you guys are. So those are my thoughts. And I, I want to take back that statement. It's actually a very sincere and right question to ask about this. I love it.
But I, I, I want to tell you this. The devil wars over tongues. He don't war over cheating on your taxes. That's the stuff Holy Spirit's getting up on. Holy Spirit's talking about how you talk about other people. Anyway. <laughs> I've got another question about tongues. Uh, I'll ask you that one, and then we'll move on to some other ones. Uh, Apostle Paul says that we speak in tongues, um, that when we speak in tongues, we speak to God. Um, if that is true, when, um, if that is true, then why are most interpretations of tongues spoken as thus saith the Lord or the Lord says? That's such a good question. I believe there's two different types of tongues. There's two different types of tongues. There's 1 Corinthians 12 tongues that Paul talks about. Do everybody have the gift of tongues? No. What he's talking about is I believe that there are gifts of tongues for the body. That brings edification to the body. I, I, I believe we're still trying to find our way into what exactly that looks like. But I think we've seen some snaps. I've seen it maybe once or twice in my life to where someone gave a tongue. Someone gave an interpretation. And there was a Holy Ghost party. And there was a powerful time in God. I distinct that there's a difference between the 1 Corinthians 12 tongues and the 1 Corinthians 14 tongues. Where Paul is talking about praying between your spirit and praying to God. The 1 Corinthians 12 is a message to the church. 1 Corinthians 14 is a private tongue by which we're praying to God. And so that's your personal devotional language. And that's what I was igniting you guys in last night. We all weren't in the 1 Corinthians 12. We were in a 1 Corinthians 14. Everybody individually was speaking tongues to God. And do you know what he began to release? I, began to, I believe he began to release interpretation by the message that came forth. So that's a very good question, and we want to know that distinction. I actually believe that there are people who have the gift of tongues. I have friends that have stepped into remote villages in Africa and who have begun to speak that language and have never learned it. I've had friends. I've been in meetings, and I'm praying in tongues, and they're hearing me say, Jesus is coming in Russian. Jesus loves you in Russian. Jesus loves you in Hebrew. Jesus loves you in this. And Corey only knows English and tongues. <laughs> I don't know anything else. So, so that, that's a very good question and a distinction to help us in this. Uh, I believe that there's people that just are able to get tongues, eat, uh, tongues of the nations, which means you're able to pick up other languages. I believe that's a gift of tongues. Absolutely. Okay, next question. Last year, one of the things that you said was your greatest places of warfare will be your greatest places of inheritance. Can you speak on some examples where that was true for you and what steps you took with God to get that, um, to get that inheritance? Good question. These are good questions. Psalm 2 is what I, I, I speak that out of. It's that inheritance book back there on the table. Um, Psalm 2, nations raging, kings plotting, judges conspiring, and this is what they're declaring war against. Let's declare war on the Father and the Son, and let's steal from Jesus his inheritance, which is namely the city of Jerusalem. And what is Jesus doing as nations are raging? He's asking the Father for the nations as his inheritance. 
I spent about five years. Many of you know our story. We lost our son in 2013. It's been bone breaking seven years. And we're coming out of it. And in that season, as I was meditating on Psalm 2, the Lord spoke to me very clearly, Corey, wherever you see the devil raging the greatest warfare in your life, in your family, in your destiny, they are to become the greatest places of your inheritance. And I want you to come out of the storm and I want you to ask me for your inheritance in the very places that the devil is raging war. For me, it was our family. When you suffer tragedy, the warfare and the pressure it puts on the family is immense. How people, several people in the same household deal with tragedy, everybody's different. And everybody responds differently. And so what came out of me is, ha-ha, our family's going to stay intact. My marriage is going to stay intact. My children are going to love God. My grandchildren are going to love God. When I start talking about inheritance, it's not even something I may or may not even see. But I'm saying God make this season of warfare count by little Bobby Russell in 2080 walking in realities because of decisions I made in my life. I'm living for kids I may not see. Well, I know I'm not going to say. I mean, I'll be 103. <laughs> <laughs> I maybe, but um, and I hope none of my anyway. Um, anyway, so I love it that Jesus is asking the Father for His inheritance, which are the nations that are raging against Him. Isn't that deep, man? That wrecked my life, man. It changed me. I lived in Psalm two. For about five years. Amen. Amen. Okay, next question. Could you speak a little bit about revival and how it may look different from uh, different for different cities, regions, and churches? Seems like all want revival to look like or sound like places like IHOP, Upper Room, Bethel, Brownsville. I want to be clear with you. IHOP, Bethel, and Upper Room has an experience, what I believe is revival. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay? I, <laughs> amen. I, I believe they're carrying redemptive gifts and messages to strengthen the body and to bring something into the body. Because I have high regard for that word revival. That's a holy word. And I feel like we've dumbed it down into, we've made it less to meet our current experience. And I have high regard for that word. In my mind, it's, it's divine seasons when God openly manifests the rule and the reign of His Son by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the release of apostolic preaching. It's when God takes over cities and regions with the manifest presence of God. It's when the crack house, the pedophile ring, and the human trafficking ring are as susceptible to the presence of God as the church building. I believe in this. There's been a couple of great awakenings in our nation. There's been Azusa Street. There have been outpourings of the Holy Spirit. And if you can't feel it a couple of miles away, 
I don't know if it's revival. <laughs> and that's why when I say he's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh before he returns, I believe that cities are going to come underneath the manifest presence of God. Zones of his glory. Zones of the fear of God. It's not like everybody's just going to be falling down in glory, wind, fire, wine, wine, wine. <laughs> I love all that. Praise God. But it's fear. It's conviction. It's God is alive. It says everybody in the book of Acts was afraid to join them. But yet thousands were added to them daily. They're afraid, but they come in trembling. Effortless salvations. Effortless deliverances. For three and a half years, Jesus was a walking revival. He was a storm and nobody could touch him. Get eaten up with that virus. Misery loves, let's just groan over that one. Amen. How do I know when I am walking in my destiny and calling? <laughs> Come up here, let me look at you. <laughs> Scan the room. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I mean, your ultimate destiny, I, I feel like there's always going to be a, there is more on this side of eternity. It's eternity is in our hearts and your ultimately your destiny is to look at that beautiful man forever and to walk in the fullness of your calling for thousands and thousands of years. Okay? However, I believe that you're seeing... I mean, how do you know when you're walking in your destiny and your calling? When you're alive in God. You're at rest in Him. The things you used to work so hard to make happen effortlessly happen now. You're happy. It doesn't mean you're walking around smiling all the time. But there's an ease about your way that you're not working for, but that you're living in. I mean, that's a, that's a kind of an, an ambiguous, kind of hard to define question. How do you know? But the will of God, it doesn't mean it's a cakewalk. Sometimes the will of God is the grind. The will of God, the destiny, because a lot of it, I mean, so I'll say it that way. And then I'll say the flip side, because when some of you get into your destiny, pressures get harder, demands get bigger, people need more stuff. And so Jesus is walking in not the fullness of his destiny, but he's walking in some of it. And yet he can't get away from crowds because it's so demanding. Anyway, there's pressures on both sides. It's not a cakewalk, but there's an ease about you moving with the father. Okay, next question. It says, actually, it's addressed to you. Hi, Corey, a friend of mine. And that's, that's sweet, whoever did that. Very nice. Thank you. Hi, Corey, a very, uh, friend of mine has a saying that he says all of the time. God's answer to prayer is always yes or not yet. Do you think that could be true? Hi. Hi. <laughs> 
I think, I think, yeah, I mean, I think those two words are one and the same. Everything, I'm, I'm going to believe, I mean, I believe now faith calls for that which is to come into now. I've never, I've always prayed that whatever is, that it will happen now. And so I, you know, that's a hard question. Um, I believe that there's certain prayers that he's saying no to. There's a third option. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes he's saying no. <laughs> you know, I think I think I want to say instead of focusing on yes or not yet, I want to put a burden on us of learning how to get filled with the knowledge of his will. Of learning how to position ourselves because prayer isn't you informing God of what you want. Prayer doesn't start with you informing, manipulating and trying to get him on your page. Prayer is getting filled. 1 John 5.14 This is the confidence that we have that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And number two, we have the petitions that we've asked of Him. The premise of that verse is you've got to get filled with what God wants through the Bible, Holy Spirit, connection with Him. And as He fills you with His dreams, you then speak His dreams back to Him and he always says amen to those prayers. God, God always says amen to the prayers that started with him. So I don't, I don't like not yet. But yet, it very well could be not yet. But I'm not going to enter, because if you get into not yet, then you're not really believing. Because there's a certain aspect of faith. That's laid out on the line of, I believe you, God. I'm not just praying for someday. I'm praying for breakthroughs today. I don't even know how to answer that question, but that's my best. I want to know, is there anybody else? Got that? I have one more question either, but it's writing out a question. You got some? Over, do you, did she write it down? She's writing. Okay, I'll ask this one. You got some? Just let's get them to me because we have a few more minutes here. What do you think about allowing the Holy Spirit to move in all services, not just meetings designed for prayer and worship? Seems like that's the normal pattern in church across the nation. Letting him move. What do you think about allowing the Holy Spirit to move in all services, not just meetings designed for prayer and worship? I think it's awesome. I think we want Holy Spirit to be the he's the leader. He's the welcome guest. He's the one that runs things. However, in the name of letting him run, that means we go two hours over. And so, <laughs> come on, I like that. We always think that means that. We got child care back here watching your little Timmy, you know. And Timmy's just sitting here running, being a little devil in here, just throwing everything around. She needs a break. Come on. And so, I'm, you know, I'm a Holy Ghost guy. I'm all about pushing and I do what I did last night. <laughs> but there's sometimes too, I want to get home and, and, you know, I want to enjoy my Sunday at home or whatever too. If God knocks me out, God knows what to do with me. But I just don't want to call. I don't want us in the name of freedom. 
in the name of giving God his way, just putting all things to the side and saying, let's go another 45 minutes. When actually God's not some little flighty dove who's just going to leave. God can move in all kinds of transitions in any kind of context. He's not intimidated by us having the right cord to provoke him, though I like minor cords. Um, so I'm all about, you know, some days I just want to get home. I want to watch the football game. I want to just relax and I don't want to go till 10. If God's on me and he's resting on me in a deep way, I ain't leaving. And I'm riding it. And I'm all about honoring our child care workers. I'm all about honoring systems and people. I'm all about honoring the systems in place to handle that kind of setting. Because this is what we do. And you're opening up a can on it here. We're putting everything. I think it's almost an indictment. On the lack that we build our whole lives around 45 minutes once a week. Instead of cultivating a week of encountering God. And when you put all your eggs saying it's either this meeting or you ain't into God. I'm saying, brother, there's six days, 23 hours left in your week. Maybe you're putting it all into this basket because you think it's all about this. That's why I believe God's busting in new wineskins of prayer meetings at the center of church, uh, church structures. Morning, noon, and night. Ideas to get people into the presence of God that's not just built on thrusting the full spiritual experience into an hour. Or two hours, whatever. So that's my way. I'm really pragmatic when it comes to that stuff. But I'm a Holy Ghost guy. I love it all. But when God's moving, you ain't going to be able to stop that train. You can't stop it. And, it, you know, it don't matter. But I don't want to help him either by just saying, we're out of one. Let's stay with it. <laughs> okay. Um, can you explain the difference between the ways introverts and extroverts worship? Um, as in, <laughs> let me finish. Hi. As an extrovert, I find I can be most expressive in his presence uh, in complete uh, corporate worship. Not, um, not as Jesus said when I close the door in a prayer closet. Hi. Thank you, Corey. I didn't get a high. That's on the, the next. First off, this is my favorite Q and A time I've ever had here. I'm loving this. Um, you know, a lot of people wouldn't know this. I would, I would call myself an introvert. All right, uh, introvert. It's all about how you get recharged. Do you get recharged by being around people or being alone? I get recharged by being alone. And so, whatever. Um, I don't look at it as how you worship. Okay, because some person, I, I, we don't even evaluate how one person's worshiping in a knot. I believe there's biblical commands to get quiet. And I believe there's biblical commands to lift up your voice and dance. And I, we're called to move into both of them, regardless of what your preference is. It's not about your preference. It's not about how you connect with God. It's not about you. When we come into a corporate setting, we move with the, the move of the spirit. We move with him. 
And so it's, it's not about you. I love you, but it's not about you. We're not worshiping you. <laughs> if we were worshiping you, we would set you on the chair in the middle of the service and everybody would just do their stuff for you. We're worshiping God. And there are ways to enter into his. There's protocol into entering into the king's presence. You enter his gates with thanksgiving. You enter his courts with praise. That looks like exalting high praise. God, you're awesome. It looks like you saying stuff, introverts. It looks like you. God, you're awesome. I love the songs. There's worship. There's deep worship. Last night, we had silence for 10 or 15 minutes. I haven't done that too many times in our meetings. But you know what? When I know God's doing it, I'm rolling with it. Because it's not about my preference. It's about how God moves. Okay, so we want to move in all the movements of it. And regardless of in your introvert or extrovert, that, that don't matter. Let me read the whole thing here before you answer. Um, and I do believe this is coming from somebody that has had lost a child. Um, I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure I know who this comes from. Uh, thank you, Corey, for your heart for God and your love for his people. You talked about your son's death. Are you the only one praying for your family and your inheritance? Here's the last part. What, what happens, do you think, when a whole family is praying for someone to live and get healed, but they still go home, but that person still goes home? Uh, would you be referencing the recent Bethel situation? Yeah. Okay. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Many of you know one of the main worship leaders at Bethel. Um, that their daughter, their two-year-old daughter, passed away. And they had a week of meetings crying out to God for resurrection. While the little girl was in the, was in the morgue. And it was a rally cry of resurrection. I, I think that's absolutely beautiful. I think it's absolutely beautiful to stand for resurrection. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead after he'd been dead for four days. So there's biblical precedent to tarry until God says stop. And so I absolutely, just absolutely love Bethel for their stand, their provoking of the body, and it strengthens us in it. It's painful, though. You know, it does dial up emotions and feelings. I wasn't able to see my son and be able to lay hands on him. Because of different things. But, you know, um, what was the question? Um, what, what, what do you think when a whole family is praying for someone to live and be healed, but God still has taken that person home? Also, are you the only one, were you, are you the only one praying for inheritance for your family? Well, I mean, I, I got some saints up there. I got my son up in heaven agreeing with me for inheritance. I got Jesus asking for inheritance. Yeah. Join with me. If you want to get on my intercessory team, you find me. And I will sign you up. And you can join me in praying Psalm 2 for the fullness of inheritance. I'm talking every inheritance. I'm talking about, I've been in this mode of inheritance. I feel like it's a word of the Lord. And I feel like we're in a season of generational inheritance. Spiritual legacy. Financial inheritance. I'm in a season of legacy, God. And of making it matter forever. And so that those all that stuff. You want to join me? Come find me. Um, 
I think it's amazing and beautiful for a family to labor for resurrection. But if the Lord sees fit to take the child home and to take the person home, you commit that to God. And you say, God, we hand, we hand him or her over to you. And God, we will proclaim and we will live and we will take our hands out of the pocket and lay the hands on the next person to be raised from the dead. And we will believe again and again for resurrection. All right, last question, and I really pray that this person's not from good news. My heart is for prayer and intercession, but I'm sent to a church or region that does not prioritize prayer. We prioritize prayer, just in case. You're, um, besides, of course, praying, please give me some wisdom strategies on changing a dry bone church and a culture of prayer and to a culture of intercession, prayer and intercession. Help. Help. Can help. I help you real quick? It better not be Naomi. <laughs> I know. Naomi. Go to CoreyRussell.com or .org and order his prayer teaching. Hey, I do. That CoreyRussellOnline.com, you know, guys, this is where this is where my energy is going in this season. All right. CoreyRussellOnline.com, 40 days, teaches to pray. Sign up for it, man. Change your life. All right. Praise God. Um, John Wesley says, I set myself on fire and everyone comes and watches me burn. You want to shift your culture? Get on fire. Just get on fire. And go and start a prayer meeting and be ready to do it for a year with just you and Jesus and the Father and the Spirit. And say, I'm coming here, come hell or high water. I'm going to be in this room. And you ain't looking at everybody, judging them. You ain't sitting around there, when are you going to come to my prayer meeting? You get a glad spirit, you get happy because God called you to do it and you get so lost in God, it'll, I promise you, it will release a magnet in the spirit and begin to call the hungry people. For years, I'd get angry at people because they wouldn't come to prayer meetings and I'd scream at them and I found something that makes them not want to come. It's a deep revelation. <laughs> Who wants to come hang out with some mean dude that yells at him, man? Get happy. I tell you, intercessors that are happy are intercessors who know God's going to do it. Intercessors that are unhappy aren't convinced God's going to do it. <laughs> All right. All right. Like, come on. I, I got a couple. I got a little bit more bandwidth. Okay. Anybody got any other questions? questions? You better not be weird, though. Come on. No, you better not be weird. Raise your hand. Okay. Anything. Okay, Carissa's safe. She won't be weird, right? Oh, I, <laughs> right. I hope. No, just, I'm just. Explain a little bit, um, in your opinion, about manifestations. Some people feel like they have to force things in the name of freedom. And we've used that as, oh, the spirit's here. There's freedom here. And, and yet he moves so differently. So, and maybe explain to some of those who have no um, context for what a manifestation is. Yeah, manifestations are those things that people do when the Holy Spirit's moving in a room. Some people may scream, ho! They may sit there and laugh, shake. 
twist, twitch, all kinds of physical manifestations to Holy Spirit's presence. I believe in them. I think I was doing it last night. I'll have hoes and ho, and I'll blow on people. And But at the same time, I, I Mike uh, Bickle, I spent 18 years with him in Kansas City, and he is uh, pragmatic as it gets. And he's, he's the kind of guy that, that, that says, he told me this, he, even with travail, you know, there'll be certain people that will be screaming, oh, and his whole thing is that when you see it touching about 40% of the room, go ahead and give room to it. But if one guy's hijacking a room and it's only happening to him, just get him to a side room. Cause if it's really God, he don't care if it's done in the room or in a side room. So as a pastor, like last night, there was a guy who was crying out, but it kind of went against the flow of the night. So Terry was going over and he was, he was talking to him. I grabbed him and said, Hey, Hey, go with the flow of the room, go with the flow of the room. And then after I explain why sometimes demons manifest and to, to distract what, from what is really happening. And so I don't mind the manifestations, but I don't, I don't want you to confirm what you think God is trying to do you by forcing a manifestation. And it needs to fit in the context of what is happening. I know sometimes God will do something beyond two. And a great example, I always hear the, uh, a woman who is dancing and she's free and a pastor is bothered by it. And he talks to the guest speaker and the guest speaker, he, he says, look at that over there. And um, the guest speaker said, I know, isn't that amazing? She was a prostitute who's been saved. And so for context, it's incredible. And she's dancing to honor the Lord. So we try to give freedom, but don't let your freedom impact others in their freedom. All right. That's beautiful. Amen. And we're in a living room. Sometimes there's, there's different rooms of the house. You don't do everything in the living room. You don't need to, you know. Um, <laughs> you know, that's a whole nother me- message, but <laughs> point is, is that we're in a family gathering with all kinds of different ways. So I really took that as what's the spirit doing in the room? Is it touching the majority or is it touching one dude? That's always one, off, one key off. <laughs> and if he's the one key off guy. Then, then you just help him out. Be really clear with him. Help him out. And he'll either make him angry or he'll be a, a really sincere guy that just missed it and say, I'm sorry. And that's the kind of, that's beautiful when I see that. And so, you know, uh, amen. I've got a question for you. What stirs up your hunger? What stirs up my hunger? <sighs> um, fasting. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, everybody. We are... honestly it does you want to get hungry fast and I'm not talking physically I'm talking spiritually fasting food praying in the Holy Spirit eating the word of God getting around saints that provoke you and refuse and just saying I, I'll probably talk about this on Sunday, tomorrow morning, but 
I love the New Year's because we get to do the Philippians 3. I forget the things which are behind me. Which means living in the regrets as well as living in the memories of your successes. One of the greatest hindrances to fresh hunger is living in the memory of how you were hungry a season ago. Amen. Amen. All right. One more. If you don't share it, you're feeling it. All right, good. I see fingers pointing. That's not always. Oh, there's one here and there's one over here. Who are we pointing at? I'm going to start by saying hi, Corey. Hello, hello. Because <laughs> I want to get my hi back. Um, the <laughs> Very well, thank you. Um, can you speak to joy? Because in the presence of the Lord, there's fullness of joy. And I'm going to give an example. My sister was talking about um, being in a holy, they, they had called a Holy Spirit meeting. And everybody was always coming out crying. <laughs> the Holy Spirit was dealing with me. And it was constant dealing. And so she was like, what about the joy? <laughs> Because it, it, it's, is this supposed to be like, you know, Holy Spirit touched me and then I, I, I yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. It's a really good question. Yeah. I think it's both. If you have a culture built on a bunch of, a bunch of just sadness, always it's got to get checked. It's got to shift. It's just a culture that's been built. God moves in all kinds of different ways. He moves in the wine, the the joy of the Holy Spirit, as well as the sorrow and the grieving of the Holy Spirit, the intercession piece. He makes us joyful in his house of prayer. Okay, he makes us joyful. However, I don't I'm all about the joy of the Holy Ghost and and the laughter and the lightheartedness. I do want to say you never want to build a culture out of anyone if you do, because that's not God. If that's called a spirit of religion, if you build a culture out of one thing, and that's how God moves. You have constricted God, and that's what going deep after God looks like. Sometimes I've told people, you want to see somebody really intense in God? This is what they look like. (laughs) That's like one of the deepest people in the world is someone with the biggest smile. Happiness is circumstantial. Joy is incircumstantial. And sometimes joy can look like crying. Joy doesn't have just to be a smile. Okay, so there's lots of different things. You don't, you can't, there's not just a definitive answer to that. But I would want to shake that up saying, why is it that we only cry? Do you know who you are to God? A lot of times it's rooted in wrong paradigms of God. Sometimes it's rooted God's disappointed. He's angry. He's sad. Those things may be true, but that's not all of God. All right, good. All right, I think I think one more. We get done. All right, where you at? Where you at? I'm gonna count to three. You raise your hand. One, two, boom. Okay, <laughs> it's you, and then we finish. What are some things that can keep us from obtaining our prayer language? Lots of things. Number one, you don't feel worthy. You don't feel like it's for you. You're always feeling like you're a second-class citizen. You've done your damaged goods. You can never get that because that's for other people. 
Number two, you're thinking too much. <laughs> Your head's in the way. Number three, I've seen some people that their dad and grandpa said tongues is the devil. You need to forgive them. It can break generational curses. And can free up the life of God in you. Number four, you're thinking too much. <laughs> and number five, you're thinking too much. All right? <laughs> anyway, I, I, it is what it is. It's not a matter of salvation. You know, all right? We receive the Holy Spirit the day you're born again. You receive him. But there's always more. There's always more. And you who got your tongues badge, rip it off. Because there's always more. He loves you. And I just find moving it from trying to rip open a gift or earn it or deserve it. It's just breathe, receive, and let him fill you. Okay? And you may get it in the middle of the night, wake up in tongues. You may get it in the car. It may come in all kinds of ways. It's not the pinnacle. Whatever you make the pinnacle... That's called a religious spirit. That means you've arrived. All right. Well, I do have one more. Do you want to do? Yeah, let's do one more. One more. Uh, okay. One more and he's going home. How do you know when you've truly forgiven someone and someone and some say forgive and forget? So good. That takes a while. How do you know you full? I don't, I think there's a, it's an immediate transaction that takes place but it's something you keep doing i think it's when you're able to see them without any weirdness in your soul celebrate them pray for them love them and give money to them and help them into their destiny wow. and when you're really excited about their destiny as much as your own wow. you're doing well <laughs> y'all like oh i ain't there <laughs> That's okay. It takes a second. That's why I said it takes a second. We'll be having forgiveness <laughs> classes next week. Okay. <laughs> All right. This is, I want you to know this might be my favorite Q&A time ever. Yeah. I love that. These are good questions. You guys enjoyed it? Yeah. Amen. Yeah. All right. We are going to we're going to pray and you guys can go home or go drink coffee. I'll be a eat. lot nicer tonight. So y'all come back, man. <laughs> And come back tonight. We'll start at 6.30, not 6.45. No more snow. In Jesus' name, no more snow. Father, I thank you for what you've done here today, God. I thank you for the great meetings, the great worship, the, the fun that we've had together. And so, Father, I just ask for just a, just a fresh revelation, a fresh anointing upon each one. God, I pray as we go this afternoon, I pray that you would just release us in joy this afternoon. God, we bless you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.